Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we have sung about your goodness and your provision by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we declare that you are holy. And Lord, just for a minute, we pause and ask that you would teach us what it means this morning to love you what it means this morning to walk in your holiness. And Lord, I pray that you would lay upon our hearts and upon our souls today an understanding of the blessing that you have given us in Christ our Savior and the salvation you have given us. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your word this morning from this text. You would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and our hearts to love the truth of your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do this in the strong and the powerful name of Christ, our Savior, your son. Amen. Right off from the beginning. It's, it's bad news whenever I put the title on the sermon sheet wrong, right? Uh, the title, instead of saying God with us, it should be God in us. Because that's, that's what this text is teaching, God in us. The text this morning is John 14, verses 15 through 31. And we're continuing to walk through the Gospel of John. And what's happened up to this point in the text in in John chapter 13 beginning in verse 31 there was the uh, the upper room discourse where Jesus is gathered with his disciples they are about to partake of the last supper Judas the betrayer leaves and now he's left with his disciples and he begins to instruct them and teach them and in John 14 1 he confronts the the emotional issue that they were walking through they they were anxious they had troubled hearts so he says do not let your hearts be troubled And the answer to the anxious, troubled heart we saw last week was they would believe in God, trust in God, trust also in me. And that is that they would have this eternal perspective of depending on and trusting and believing and walking with God. And so this morning as we approach verse 15, it's with this or through this lens that we approach, the disciples are troubled. They are walking through a very difficult time where they, they're being told by Christ that He is going away and they can't go where He is going at this time, but they'll follow later. And so these guys who have left everything to follow Him and have been walking with Him for these last three years or so, now they're saying, well, what is this He's saying? Why can't we go with Him? And so Jesus is still in the midst of answering that question, why they can't go now. And what he teaches the disciples in this text is this, God dwells in us. God dwells in you. He teaches his disciples that here is what's going to happen after my resurrection and ascension to the Father. I'm going to pray to the Father and he's going to send down the Spirit who will then indwell you as my disciples. And so it's with great hope that he preach, or that he teaches the disciples this truth, these truths. And so if you find your place in verse 15, say amen. Follow along as I read John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. 
That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You notice any themes as we read throughout those verses? The theme of love, love, the word love is is used 10 times from verses 15 through verse 31. And then the idea of obedience are are keeping his words, are keeping his commandments is used four times. And every time it's used, obedience, this theme of obedience, every time it's used, it's used in connection with the love of Christ or loving Christ, rather. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that love for him will be displayed through obedience to him. The way that they are to show their love, or to prove their love rather, the way that their love will be displayed is through their obedience. And so those who demonstrate their genuine love for Jesus by obedience will then be privileged to have God dwelling in them. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And listen, that that is of vital importance for us to get today. If we've not got that yet, as disciples of Christ, we need to be aware of this. Number one, that we can't live for Christ, void of His Spirit, without His Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Jesus knows this. He knows that it's of of the greatest importance for His disciples. That's why He's telling them this. His disciples need to understand that they're not left on their own. Verse 18, I don't leave you as orphans, I come to you. And so they're not left on their own to live the Christian life and to be his disciples. No, he sends his Holy Spirit. And so as disciples of Christ today, this this truth 
remains, applies in our lives. God doesn't call us to live the Christian life in our own power, in our own strength. And if we try, we fail miserably. Instead, He calls us to live and to walk by His Spirit. And so I want us to begin by observing, uh, remembering the context. The disciples are discouraged. Jesus is telling them, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. So I want us to begin by observing what Jesus is saying will be the blessing of loving and knowing Christ. In verses 15 through 21, we see the blessing of loving and knowing Christ. You know, when I was... When I was younger and immature in my faith, I remember asking the question often, how do I love God? How do I, how do I really love God? I mean, deep down, how do, I, how do I love God whom I've not seen? I was learning that loving God was more than emotional attachment. Being younger, my, my frame of reference was my mother, my father, my brother, my, my love for my parents grew out of a, a, a deep sense of security and trust. Early on, our home was a safe place. I, I knew it was a place where I could be me. Similarly, my love for my brother grew out of a, a connectedness in, in the family and through time spent together. And so our relationship flourished early on in the years of our lives. And, and, and so I began this long process of learning, and it's a lifelong process, learning that loving God is an engaging relationship that grows through seeking to know Him. There are many similarities between our relationship with God and relationships that we have on this earth, earthly relationships, and the way that they grow and they're, they're fostered, right? We, we can identify. We, we understand the way that we know our spouse better is by spending time together. And, and we also understand that spouses understand that when you've been married for two years, as opposed, or when you've been married, let me say it this way, for 20 years instead of only two years, there, there's a great deal more intimacy that, that's gained through knowing your spouse for that extended period of time. Or at least that's God's design. That, that's the way that it, it works. So the more I devoted myself to prayer and to the reading and, and studying of God's word, what happened was the greater my love grew for God, the greater my capacity to know and to understand God because I was pouring myself into His word I was spending time uh, thinking upon Scripture and, and spending time in prayer, devoting myself to Him. And so throughout the lifelong process, I've learned and continue to learn many times over that there's a direct link between my love for Christ and my obedience to Christ. And here's the link. My love for Christ is displayed through obedience. And so that's letter A. A Love for Christ is displayed through obedience. We see it in verse 15. Look at what Jesus says to them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is an if-then clause in, in the text, verse 15. In other words, he's saying, if you love me, then here's what's going to happen. If you love me, then your life will be uh, displaying, keeping the commandments of God. 
disciples of Christ. If we love Christ, then our lives will manifest obedience to his commandments. It's not that we're earning God's favor. That's not what it's about. We don't earn God's favor through obedience to Christ. No, no, no. We, we obey Christ because of our love for him. And obedience is just the outworking of the love that we experience when we're walking in fellowship and relationship to Christ. So last week we saw that hearing and believing lead to seeing. And that was in contrast to what Philip said in verse 8 of chapter 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And through verse 11, Jesus replies to him and confronts Philip's false view. Philip was taking this worldly view of saying, seeing is believing. And what Jesus is replying to him saying is, no, hearing and believing leads to seeing. And today I want us to understand that hearing and believing result then in obedience to Christ's commandments. You know, I I fear today that people are, are deceived oftentimes Their claim to be Christian isn't a claim to love God or to love Christ. If you think about what Jesus is saying here, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, that means we claim to love God. We claim to love Christ. Instead, what people tend to do is they they equate their Christianity with a, a positive moral activity, being a good person, instead of transformational, holy living. You see, obedience to Christ leads us to transformational holy living. Our lives will be radically different and shaped by the Word of God. As we love God, as we love Christ, as we obey His commandments, our lives will be transformed and and changed. And Jesus knew this as He's teaching His disciples. I fear the other way that many people are deceived today is they equate their Christianity with duty and, and obligation rather than privilege in coming and worshiping and living for Christ. And this is the opposite. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's saying those who are true disciples of His will keep His commandments. They'll keep His commandments because they love Him. They don't love Him because they keep His commandments, you see. They find joy in living for Christ. They find joy in loving one another, in serving one another. Serving others then becomes the hallmark of the Christian life because it reflects God's love for us and our love for others. And it promotes the unity within the body of Christ. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This phrase, if you love me, it, it really it governs our understanding of all the way through verse 21. And so the benefits of loving Christ are seen through God's provision at the request of Christ. Because he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. You see, not only is the love of Christ displayed through obedience, those who love Christ will receive the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verses 16 through 18. This is a gift from the Father to, through the Son to His disciples. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. This, the presence of the Helper, He's enduring. He's with you forever. 
And there are two titles I want to take note of in verses 16 through 18 that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. And I say the Holy Spirit here because if we look down into verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. You see, the the Helper is called the Holy Spirit. And the Helper in verse 26 is the same title that's used in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He'll give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. This word, Helper, I, I, I don't do this often, but the Greek word is paraclete. And the paraclete, is, it's, it's a legal term, and, and it means one who is a counselor, a comforter, an advocate, but there really is no gr- good English translation to communicate the depth of what paraclete, or helper, or counselor, or comforter, or why so many different words are used to describe this work of the Holy Spirit. And it, it means this. It means the Holy Spirit, the helper, is one who comes alongside, one who pleads the cause of another. In legal terms, it speaks of a friend who fights the cause of the defendant. And here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. The Father will give them another helper who will come alongside them and plead the cause of God within them. The helper comes and he pleads the cause of God in the life of the disciple. In other words, we'll see in a moment how the helper, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes and teaches the disciples, leads the disciples. And what we learn is for you and I, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is he does the same thing. He is our helper. He's not our counselor in the sense of of a therapist who 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 transforms all of our problems or listens to all of our problems so that he can give us good advice on on what to do. No, he is our counselor in the sense that he, he teaches us how to walk in the will of God, how to know God, how to follow the directives of God, how to walk and know the living Lord. And so he says, I'll give you another helper. Second aspect I want you to notice here is this another helper, it's referring or, or it means an independent operator within the Trinity. It's a third person. You see, in this text, we see the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit being given. And so he, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is, is given to the disciples. Verse 17, the second name our title that's given to describe the work of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. So I'll give you, He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it, it doesn't see Him or, or know Him. But listen, you know Him. How do you know Him? Because He, he abides with you and He abides in you. Jesus draws our attention to see the connection between Himself and the Spirit. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the connection that He draws for us here is the Spirit of truth. It's the same in His character and His integrity with Jesus. So the Spirit of truth is the risen, living, life-giving presence of Christ who comes to be with His disciples forever. And so the title means he will use 
the word of God, to guide his disciples into the will of God and the work of God. And so he says, you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And Jesus is saying that he's now with them. But after he's gone, the Holy Spirit will come and abide in them. And so Jesus is not teaching on the Holy Spirit necessarily when the Holy Spirit indwells them, but the concrete reality that the Holy Spirit indwells those who love Christ and are his disciples. Verse 18 gives us assurance that Jesus will not abandon. He won't leave them as orphans. Instead, he will come to them. And how does he come? He comes by his spirit. So not only will his disciples enjoy the blessing of receiving the Holy Spirit, those who love him, get this in verse 19, they'll possess life. After a while, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. What a tremendous promise Jesus gives to his disciples. Because of his death and resurrection, he secures life eternally for all those who believe in him and who love him. And so we can rejoice in this truth as his disciples would soon learn and rejoice as they received the Holy Spirit of God. And so... This was confirmation for the disciples of resurrection life, and it serves as confirmation for you and I today even of resurrection life. So here are the blessings of of loving and knowing Christ. That we receive the Holy Spirit, that we possess life, and that we will be in, in we will experience a relationship with the Father and the Son. For all those who are in Christ, there's a, there's a certainty. He says, you will know, in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. For all those who are in Christ, there's a certainty given by the Holy Spirit. Get this, as the Holy Spirit pleads the cause in us, testifying to the truth of God's word. And so he says, I am in my Father, and you in me. And listen, he says, I in you. Positionally, Jesus is speaking of how the disciples are located, those who love him, are located in the sphere of Christ's protection. Meaning that we're in unique relationship with he and the Father by the presence and the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives so Jesus's prayer for his disciples in John 17 20 he tells the father he says I don't ask on behalf of these alone but for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one even as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me And so there's this relationship that's enjoyed between the disciple of Christ and Christ and the Father. And this relationship is to be experienced with great joy and vitality. And so the relationship with the Father can be summed up in two ways. There's first, security. We are in Christ. 
And then secondly, there's obedience, which speaks to unity. There's a display of, of our love for Christ. In verse 21, he who, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. How then are we displaying the love of Christ in and through our lives daily? Is it through keeping the commandment of the Lord? To have his commandments and to keep them, Jesus is telling his disciples that love and obedience that they show is to be paralleled to Jesus' love and obedience to the Father. And so he's displayed this throughout his earthly ministry. It's been his mission to walk in obedience to the Father and to minister to the world, to all those that he came in contact with, pointing to the Father, that they would see the glory of the Father. And so to walk in obedience to Christ displays then our love for Christ. And I want you to know this isn't a hopeless task or hopeless thing for us, for his disciples. And the reason it's not hopeless is because Christ himself has empowered us by his spirit. And so Christ says in verse 21, I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Meaning he will reveal and make clear and explain through the spirit of truth. And so jog back to chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You see, walking in obedience to Christ, keeping his word and loving him, it's not a hopeless, unreachable goal for for the disciples. No, what Christ is calling us to is a life walking by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit of truth. You see, the blessing of loving and knowing Christ means having His divine guidance for all of life. He doesn't leave us as orphans, but He comes to us and He directs our way. Christ brings us into relationship with Himself and the Father through His giving of the Spirit. And he imparts the truth of his word to us. Even working with us to accomplish his glory. And so those who love and know Christ will enjoy God's favor, I think, in two ways. The first one is that we gain the peace of Christ. Those who love and know Christ enjoy God's favor and blessing in their life because we gain the peace of Christ. The question I would ask is, what what is the peace of Christ? Look in verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. And then he says, "Do, do not let your heart be troubled. I think the peace of Christ that he's talking about here or I should say the peace of Christ that he's talking about here is being certain, that is belief, being certain and aware of God's sovereign direction in and over our lives because of Christ's work on the cross. Christ's work on the cross sealed the victory. He defeated Satan and he won the victory. He conquered death. And so the peace of Christ then comes through knowing God's sovereignty over our lives 
and being certain of it. We could add to this peace of Christ. It's the opposite of anxiety and fear. As he says there in verse 27, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Instead, what? Have the peace of Christ. Gain the peace of Christ. How do we gain the peace of Christ? First, I think we gain the peace of Christ through practicing his word. And we see that in verses 23 and and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him. We gain the peace of Christ through practicing his word. In John 17, 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. James says it like this. He says, let us not be hearers only, but let us also be doers of The word. You know, when we practice Christ's word, we look like Christ. Right? In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so the idea is that as we practice the word of God, as we practice the word of Christ, as we live it out, as we love Christ... If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. How do we gain the peace of Christ? We gain it by keeping Christ's word. And so he says, if anyone loves my word and keeps my word. Means belief, belief that Jesus is from the father and he truthfully reveals the father to us. And so in verse 24 he states the same truth negatively. And he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who who sent me. The point is, mere duty doesn't bring about obedience to Christ. Only a love for Christ can bring about obedience to Christ. So when we... When we practice the word of God, we grow to look like Christ. How does how does Christ's word inform our daily living? How does Christ's word inform all of the activity of our lives? Are we submitting our lives to Christ? Are we daily submitting our lives to the word of Christ, walking, desiring to walk in obedience to Christ's commands? Second way. The second way we gain peace, the peace of Christ, is through knowing his presence. Knowing his presence. We see it in verses 23 and 26. At the end of verse 23, Jesus says, in response to the love of the disciple, which fleshes out in keeping my word, he says, we will come to him and make our abode with him. In verse 2, Peter was told that a dwelling place with God eternally would be his. He was promised that in verse 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. But now get this, in verse 22 and 23 here, Judas Judas is told that he'll, he'll become the dwelling place of God on earth. How does this happen? 
Well, it happens by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the truth of God's word is this, that those who who are in a relationship with the Father through the ministry of Christ and the work that he has done on the cross have the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence in them. God in us. He dwells within the believer. This is the truth that Christ has been teaching and and leading up to. He wants them to understand when he says he doesn't leave them as orphans, that he comes to him, he's taught to them, he's talking about coming to them in the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so this happens in verse 26 through the ministry of the Helper. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will do two things. One, He'll teach you all things. This speaks initially for the disciples. The Holy Spirit will will teach them all they are to know and, and fill in all that they are to know about Christ and His mission after His resurrection and ascension and the Holy Spirit comes to them. And so the Holy Spirit, their counselor, advocate, teacher, is the one who is teaching them And instructing them. And then secondly, he says, he'll remind you, he'll bring you bring to your remembrance the Holy Spirit will. Initially for for all the disciples. And for all that Christ had taught them and, and spoke to them, he'll bring back to their remembrance everything. For us, I I think this calls us to to see, and it speaks to the authority of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God, right? It's God-breathed. And we see here the connection between the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the disciples, especially those initially who walked with Christ, and he says, I will not leave you, I will come to you. And here's what the Holy Spirit will do when I come to you. He'll bring to your remembrance everything, and he'll teach you. He will illumine your mind. He will illustrate it. He will shine the light of my glory so that you understand it and fully comprehend it, and that you will record this word. I think it speaks to the sufficiency of Scripture that God has seen through the process. He has overseen the process. So how does this happen? How does God make His abode with the disciple? Well, He comes and makes His abode through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. Before we move on, I want to draw your attention to the not as the world gives portion of verse 27. Jesus says, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The peace of Christ is distinct from the world. Because the world is powerless to give true peace. What Jesus is advocating and teaching here is that true peace comes in union and connection with Him. When we think of peace, we often think negatively, like the absence of war. Or in this day, the Pax Romana, Roman peace. It was won and it was maintained with a brutal sword. Any worldly attempt at peace falls short because it doesn't deal with with the foundational reason that strife and contention exist, and that is the human condition. Only Christ can deal with the human condition, the sin of man. 
And understanding that we're evil to the core, we're in need of one who can take away the sin in our lives and establish true peace. This is why the peace of Christ is distinct from the world. The peace of God's kingdom, the peace of Christ, was won and is maintained by the sinless Savior when He absorbed the full wrath of God against the sin of the world. And when Christ absorbed the full wrath of God against the sin of the world, he died and conquered sin in the grave. He established our peace with God when he resurrected from the grave and satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. And so those who are yoked with Christ then have the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Jesus' peace comes to us then through His power, by His Spirit, enabling us to live according to His Word and His commandments. And Jesus' peace comes to us through His presence and can only come to us through His presence. So the peace of Christ, here's what the peace of Christ does, and here's what Jesus is telling His disciples, the peace of Christ will do. His peace. He's saying, my peace will guard you against fear and against anxiety. The two greatest detriments to their faith is fear and anxiety. Doubt. Because in their anxiety and in their fear, they doubt the sovereignty of God. They are doubting that Jesus' plan and mission really is the best way to carry out the messianic kingdom. And that is a threat. That is a threat to the work that Christ has been coming and doing. And so they gain the peace of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through practicing His Word, through knowing His presence. But the second way they'll enjoy and know God's favor is this. And they must trust in the glorious hope of Christ. In verses 28 through 31, they must trust in the glorious hope of Christ. In essence, Jesus is telling the disciples they shouldn't be saddened or or grieved because he goes away. Instead, because he goes away, Christ returned to God's glorious presence. They should rejoice. Because he goes away, they see that, that Christ has returned. The truth is that Christ has returned to God's glorious presence. And because he has returned to God's glorious presence, they should rejoice. He says, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. Some have wrongly concluded that, that this claim means Jesus is less than fully God. Or that it means Jesus isn't God. But that's not what he's saying here. Contextually, it wouldn't make sense in what John's been teaching us and what Jesus has been saying and claiming about himself throughout the gospel. What he's saying is he's returning to the sphere of the Father's glorious presence. Listen, to the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. This is the place where God the Father's glory and the Son's glory will not be veiled. This place is the place of the Father's glory that's greater than the Son in His incarnate state. And that's what Jesus means. And so His departure from this world is to to go to His home, which is His gain. And if the disciples had loved Him, He says, they would have rejoiced in this. But their grief and their anxiety reveal 
their lack of trust, and their need for greater faith. And here's the point. We can trust and we can rejoice in the glorious hope that Christ is teaching about. But we can very quickly find ourselves in the same place as the disciples, where we are filled with anxiety and lacking trust and dependence upon Christ where we are trying to walk in our own strength and we are fearful and, and, and we doubt that God is really in control over our lives. Or we live like we doubt God is in control over our lives. And we fail to surrender to Him in any and everything that we're walking through in all activity. And so not only do we see that Christ returned to God's glorious presence and that should cause us to rejoice and cause us to have an eternal perspective, but we see the cross is our victory in verses 30 and 31. He says, I will not speak much more with you, for the rule of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The cross is our victory because it's Christ's triumphant victory over Satan. He talks about the ruler, that is Satan, and Jesus says he has nothing in me. Literally, he can't overcome and he has no hold on me. The Hebrew idiom, it's legal context or legal language. He has no claim on me and nothing over me. The reason is because Jesus never sinned. And so when Christ dies to satisfy the wrath of God, he dies a sinless death. And as the perfect sinless Savior, he is able to bring us into the presence of God the Father and give us his peace so that we are not suffering under the wrath and judgment of God, but we are under the peace of God. And so Satan thought that he had defeated Christ on the cross, but he couldn't keep hold on Christ because Christ's work is finished and his victory is won. And so there's a notable contrast between, at the end here, between Satan's attempt to bring a claim against Jesus and Jesus pointing out in verse 31 his resolute determination to walk in full obedience to the Father. He says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And so we, we end by noting where we began The connection for Christ is Christ wants to walk in resolute obedience to the Father in order to display His peace for the world and in order to display His love for the Father. And so Jesus closes by telling us that His love for the Father is displayed chiefly through keeping his father's commandments. And so the question I want to pose to us as we close this morning is, are we delighting in knowing and loving Christ? Meaning we are walking by the Holy Spirit because as those who love Christ and display our love for Him through our obedience, we we know that we've received the Spirit and we have life and we have a unique relationship with the Father. So are we delighting and loving and knowing Christ? Second question is, do you know the peace of Christ? The peace that passes all understanding, the peace that moves us from being children of wrath to those who are converted and saved, 
indwelt by the Holy Spirit, knowing and being led by the Holy Spirit? And are you trusting in his glorious hope? The fact that Christ has won the victory. He has defeated Satan and he has given us hope that eternally we will be with him in his presence forever. Do you know the hope that comes from a relationship with God through Christ and the deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life? This morning, I want to close in prayer and ask you to consider how the Lord might be leading you. Do you know that God dwells in us? Do you talk to God daily? Are you walking by his spirit? Let us pray. Father, as we consider your word this morning, such a tremendous text, a wonderful truth of just your work in our lives and the blessing that we have is knowing your favor and your hand upon us. Lord, teach us how to walk by peace. Teach us how to, how to love you more and and Lord, let us find great joy and delight in, in obedience because of our love for you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and how you you lead us and direct us and you fill us and you teach us and you comfort us and you are the advocate who dwells in us. And so Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us strength to live for you, to live for your glory. And I pray, God, if there's anybody this morning who who doesn't have a relationship with you, doesn't know you, doesn't have the peace of Christ, that you would open their eyes, that you would reveal yourself to them for your glory and for your namesake. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?